It's TechBiter Worldwide with Bill Flynn. The latest on programs and policies, helpful hints, and a bit of occasional nonsense. All in more or less plain English. Podcast number 785 for the 25th of March, 2022. This week, you may have seen articles that claim a seven-character password containing numbers, uppercase and lowercase letters, and symbols could be cracked in less than a minute. Longer passwords are better. Using upper and lowercase letters along with numbers and symbols is also better. But less than a minute? Let's check the logic. In short circuits, when it's time to buy a new computer, you probably want to have all of the programs and data from your old computer on the new one. The easy way to accomplish that is with Laplink's PC Mover. If you're the kind of person who enjoys sifting through population and demographic data, you're going to have a lot of fun on the World Population Review website. And 20 years ago, if you wanted a Bluetooth-enabled device, you might be able to add the technology to an existing device, but it wasn't cheap. You may have seen some articles recently that claim a seven-character password with numbers, uppercase and lowercase letters, and symbols could be cracked in less than a minute. Longer passwords are always better, of course. Upper and lowercase letters, along with numbers, make the password even better. But cracking any password that long with that many characters in less than a minute? Hmm. The truth may depend on how we define cracked. According to Hive Systems, a password like uppercase G, lowercase d, uppercase j, ampersand, lowercase c, uppercase h, numeral 4, could be cracked in about... 31 seconds using readily available technologies. That is, if we tell the application we are looking for a seven-character password containing numbers, uppercase and lowercase letters, and symbols, it should be able to create this sequence in 31 seconds. That's not exactly a real-world example, though. If by cracked we mean that we could find the password in the program's output, well, then you're right, the password has been cracked but the resulting list would contain millions of possible sequences. There are 26 uppercase letters, 26 lowercase letters, 10 digits, and around 20 symbols. Because some of the symbols can't be used in passwords, let's say there are 10. Adding the possible characters, we get 72. Each character in the password can be one of 72 options. There are seven characters in the password, so that's 72 to the seventh power permutations. Now, wait a minute. Did I say millions? That's a little bit of an understatement. The actual number of permutations is a little over 10 trillion. To put that into perspective, one trillion seconds is about 31,688 years. So 10 trillion seconds would be about 316,880 years. And if you have a 20-character password, you'd have to work through 1.401 to the 37th power permutations. That's well beyond an octillion. But let's get back to our much smaller number. If some application could create the 10 trillion possibilities presented by the 7-character password in 31 seconds, you would know that the password is present in your huge list. But how useful is that? Well, in short... Not very. 
The problem with saying you have cracked the password is that you still don't know which of the combinations you have is the one you want. To discover that, you'd need access to the computer where the credentials are used and the username. Then you'd have to try each of the trillion-plus possible passwords. Because many systems lock users out after a certain number of failed attempts, this would be a very long process. And if the user has set up multi-factor authentication, well, you see where I'm going with this. That's why most crooks don't use brute force to crack passwords. Social engineering is much faster and much easier. Even so, a claim about quickly cracking passwords is a dramatic example of how technology changes things, and it does force people to slow down for a moment and at least think about security. Hive Systems regularly updates the chart. Two years ago, a seven-character password would have been cracked in about seven minutes, but increased processing power has cut that to 31 seconds. For your safety and the security of your data, the usual safeguards apply. Consider using a passphrase instead of a password. Even though a passphrase contains only letters, it's longer, and length is the most important consideration. A passphrase that contains unrelated words, such as nation-river-finger, is difficult to crack even though all of the words can be found in a dictionary. And if you recognize that particular sequence, it's one of several used by Medicare to evaluate short-term memory. Be sure to use a password manager. LastPass, 1Password, or any one of the other managers will store long and complex passwords securely. Your password manager will have a master password, which should be both strong and memorable, because you must remember it to gain access to your stored passwords. But the most essential tool remains suspicion. To ensure that you maintain control over your usernames, passwords, and the accounts protected by those credentials, be suspicious of emails, instant messages, phone calls, and other communications. A message that claims to be from your bank, internet service provider, domain host, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, PayPal, UPS, the USPS, FedEx, DHL, or any other delivery organization, a government agency, or a business might be legitimate but it might also be fake. You probably already know the drill here. The easiest option is simply to note the sender's claimed identity and then call the organization or log on to its website so that you can communicate with customer service representatives and confirm whether they really do need you to perform some action. But if you prefer to do things the hard way, examine the message carefully for clues that it's fake. Understand that no organization should ever ask you to confirm important details that they should already have. Your account number, a bank balance, or username, for example. No legitimate organization will ever ask to be paid using gift cards. Government agencies don't send warnings that you're about to be arrested. The IRS sends audit notices by mail, not by email or instant message. Microsoft and Apple do not monitor your computer and send email warnings that your computer is infected. The list goes on and on and on. So do it the easy way. Refuse phone calls from unknown sources, ignore any email or instant message that wants you to do something, and deal with the apparent sender directly. There are so many variations on so many cons that it's impossible to anticipate them all. Instead, be suspicious and stay safe out there on the Internet. 
If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, my wife's computer was nearing the end of its useful life in early March. Slow and underpowered by today's standards, the five-year-old computer suffered from a keyboard that sometimes didn't respond, and other times responded several times to a single key press. It affected mostly keys on the left side of the keyboard. There are some really important letters over there. E, of course, along with S, T, R, and A. Now, that's not to denigrate the right side of the keyboard. O, P, and L are pretty important, too. And that's, of course, where most of the punctuation marks are. It's possible to replace the keyboard on a notebook computer. Possible, but tedious. A year or so ago, I had to replace the motherboard in my wife's work computer. Replacing the keyboard in her home computer wouldn't have been that challenging, but I still didn't want to do it because she'd still have a five-year-old, slow, underpowered computer with a new keyboard. Whoopee! The other option would have been to use a USB keyboard, but Phyllis holds the computer on her lap when she's off work. A separate keyboard simply wouldn't do. It was time for a new computer. So we ordered a new computer and a copy of Laplink's PC Mover. Whether you buy a boxed copy or not, you will download the software to both computers. The boxed versions contain either a special Ethernet cable or a special USB cable. I bought the copy with the Ethernet cable. That turned out to be a bit of a problem. The old computer has an Ethernet port, but the new one doesn't. Laplink says cables are not required since PC Mover can always use a wireless network that's connected to your old and new PC. However, using a cable will result in faster transfer speeds for most users. I can attest to that. But first, let's consider the process itself. PC Mover requires no technical knowledge beyond being able to download and install an application and maybe how to update Windows. Laplink also cautions that both computers must be fully updated and that you can't migrate a newer system to a computer with an older version of Windows. The new computer came with Windows 10 version 21H1 and also offered Windows 11, but we stuck with Windows 10 for now. The old computer had Windows 10 version 21H2, so I had to manually load the 21H2 version on the new computer before starting. So the process works this way. Start the program on each computer, enter the registration code on each, and the computers find each other. All the user has to do is correctly identify the old computer and the new computer and start the process. Now, that's assuming you want to migrate all applications and data from the old computer to the new computer. Most people will want to do that. If not, you can customize the process. I have a couple of notebook computer holders that elevate the computer for a bit better air circulation. So I put them on a bed, put the old computer on one, the new computer on the other, and inadvertently attracted a cat who just wanted to see what was going on. Sometimes having an observer cat is a good thing. 
Because I couldn't use the Ethernet cable, I logged both computers onto the Wi-Fi network. The process started, and PC Mover told me that the network speed was okay and that the transfer would take about seven hours. That seemed excessive, and within minutes, network quality was shown to be unusable. The problem was obvious. Two computers sitting side-by-side side running on the same Wi-Fi network with a lot of data. The machines simply were interfering with each other. Laplink suggested moving the computers further apart. I tried that, but it really didn't change anything. Then I tried running one computer on the 2.4 GHz network and the other on the 5 GHz network. That helped, but not enough. Well, the old computer does have an Ethernet connector, so why not plug the old computer into the router so that it won't have to use a wired connection and then use Wi-Fi for the new computer? That worked perfectly, and PC Mover said the process would be complete in about 33 minutes. I presumed that was overly optimistic, and we were less than an hour away from a planned maintenance outage by American Electric Power, so I halted the transfer. When power was restored a few hours later, I started the transfer process again, and PC Mover once again said the process would take about 33 minutes. In fact, it took about three times that long, but an hour and a half still isn't bad. At the end of the process, the new computer booted and the interface looked almost exactly like the old computer's interface. All of the essential programs and data were in place. Purists might insist on setting up a new computer manually, but in most cases, and for most people, PC Mover will save a lot of time and turn what could be a complex, tedious process into an easy one. On the day I was putting this part of the report together, the 9th of March, the population of the planet had increased by about 14.7 million people since the 1st of January. There are about 382,000 births per day and around 166,000 deaths every day. Some of the information is estimated, of course, but this is just a bit of the information included on the World Population Review website. The United Nations estimates that the planet's population was about 7 billion people in October 2011. The U.S. Census Bureau and the World Bank both believe the total population of the world reached 7 billion in 2012, around March or April. I live on the edge of Columbus, which is the 15th largest city in the United States. Austin is a little larger. San Francisco is a bit smaller. The big three are New York City, Los Angeles, and Chicago. Cleveland is 54th, Cincinnati is 65th, and surprisingly, Pittsburgh is only 68th. Pittsburgh seems larger. Maybe it has something to do with the hills and rivers. The top 11 cities all have populations ranging from 1 to 8 million, and all of the largest 100 cities have populations in excess of 100,000. If at this point you're thinking, so what? Well, the World Population Review website is probably not for you. But if you're intrigued by that kind of information, you'll find a lot to enjoy here. For example, in 1940, Columbus had a population of 306,000, but the trend has been steadily upward since then. Cleveland had more than 800,000 residents in 1940, but population had started what became a steep decline in the 1960s, and Cleveland's population is now about what it was in 1900. 
Information like this is available for continents, countries, world cities, and U.S. states, counties, cities, and postal codes. But that's just the beginning. The World Population Review website describes population size and density, diversity, population change over time, and demographics. You'll find population data by age, information about home ownership, family sizes, education by various age ranges, earning information as related to education, poverty rates, languages spoken, military veterans, labor force data, and information about non-citizens and the origin of naturalized citizens. This kind of information is used by marketing professionals, but that doesn't mean you have to be a marketing professional to use it. All you need is interest in a city, county, state, country, or continent. And if this kind of information piques your interest, you might also want to try the CIA's World Factbook website. No security clearance is required. No security clearance is needed to view 20 years ago either. Just point your browser to the TechBiter Worldwide website and check out the world as it was in 2002 as Bluetooth technology was just becoming available. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn. There's more on the website, techbiter.com, and if you have a question or a comment, use the contact link you'll find there. Stop by again next week for another session.